0: E raka te katou, e raka te māwi. When one side is strong, the other side is strong. E mana, e kia hoki e fakarongo mai ana, mai, mai anō ki te wahanga nei a te ahikā. I'm Justine Murray, welcome back to Te Ahi offering up an insight into te ao Māori, the Māori world. Last week we heard part one of a panel discussion about Māori in the media. Our panelists were Chris Winitana, Maramena Roderick and John Stokes. Today we pick up from where we left you hanging a little when Chris asked the question, what is a Māori journalist?
1: With Whatever journalist you are, be a good one. What's a good one? Tell the story. What's the story? Uh, The truth as you can find it. Chris
0: Winitana there. He's coming up later on. Then we head to Rotorua for the recent 25th Māori Journalism Waiariki course reunion in which a panel discussion featured Māori journalists from the front line of news on TV.
2: I want to know where all the bright, young, talented Māori journalists are and I want to encourage all of you to start knocking on our doors.
0: Polder Maxwell, head of Māori programming at Television New Zealand. More from him later. e hariake nei. That's coming up in this edition of Te Ahika.
3: ki te ahika.
0: Remember the movie Castaway? That's the one with Tom Hanks in it. He's stranded on an island with a toothache. So he uses the blade of an ice skate to to knock out the rotten tooth. Well, that makes a visit to the dentist sound almost good by comparison. Mariah visited the less drastic option at Tsipu Ora, Niho Oranga at Ohinemutsu, a Māori dental clinic in Rotorua.
3: So we're in, where are we? Oh, we're in the lunchroom. We're in the lunchroom. Just going past the lunchroom. The lunchroom. <laughs> Kia Aren't they beautiful? <laughs> well, they're
4: lovely ladies that I work with. <laughs> here's one of our dentists and here's our illustrator. Oh, and here's our dental assistant who might come and help me take a PA. We've got a sawtooth. No, <laughs> Maya, how
3: do I? This is your beautiful chair, the blue one in the middle of the room. <laughs> So, what are you is giggling a, about? Well, this is a, I, I always giggle when I'm slightly nervous. So, this is the. <gasps> what are you nervous about? About being in the dentist. Right. I've got that familiar smell. That smell that used to make me feel sick when I was a child. Oh. And still does and puts terror in my heart as an adult. And how many years ago was that? Just roughly. Don't give me any <laughs>
5: <laughs> But it is
4: amazing what continues on from childhood in your memories. And one of the main reasons why um, dental services aren't particularly attractive or exciting for Māori, or for anyone who had a bad experience as a child. But then
3: there's also the um, the cost. Absolutely.
4: Yeah, that's possibly, um, in fact it definitely is the leading cause of people not coming, not accessing services, closely followed by fear.
3: Come on on. Friend, have a so I'm the biggest person in this room, and I have probably the most fear. Yeah, I can pro I can say that quite clearly, quite quite honestly.
4: Mm-hmm. Meet Whitney. She's my biggest. Whitney. Hara. dental assistant. You okay. Can you introduce
3: yourself? Hi. I'm Mariah, I'm with Radio New Zealand. I'm just recording this experience to do a um, profile on Pauline and Mardi dentists. I'm a typical Māori patient, I'm coming with I when I am in absolute agony. But right now it's okay, because I've um, had a few Panadol. <laughs> yep. Yep. And you're feeling a bit
4: slightly happier that you're looking at
3: Māori faces who are treating you? Oh, you know, it's... Oh, look how beautiful you both are. <laughs> you're like poster girls for Māori dentistry. <laughs> so, Annie, are you you went to university? No, no. I am um, done my training here at the And how so long does that take? Um,
4: I was trained on the job, so... Kind
3: of... Oh, I don't
4: know. Yeah, we usually start them off straight away, actually, straight into the deep end, working yeah. with patients from day one, um, being directly supervised and led by the dentist.
3: Is it paid? Yes. yes. And what made you want to move into dentistry as a career? To try something new, really?
4: Yeah. She's particularly awesome with children. Um, worked in ECC before coming here. And um she's obviously one of the more attractive people on the block. So people tend to be able to relate to her a lot quicker. She um tends to be quite calming. Yeah, not calming for the teenage boys, funnily enough. In In a good way, in a good way.
3: Whitney, well. Okay, so I both of us still be I'm gonna sit in the, chair in the chair now, and um, so see those me. instruments. Tell me just very quickly with those little mirrors on the end. Tell me very quickly how long you've had this toothache for. Um, well, I was eating a a quesadilla maybe three weeks ago, and something went crunch, yes. and I was thinking, hmm, that's not a Vogel's. <laughs> And then I looked down on my plate, and I saw that it was a tooth, part of a tooth. And Mm. I was like, okay, that's my tooth. Mm, It's not sore right now. But then over the last couple of days, and I know this through my own past experience, sometimes the climate can make your... Is this right? Can the climate make your teeth or your mouth more sensitive? Do you mean the temperature? Yeah. Yes. So it's been kind of chilly and over the last four days, I've been travelling up and down around the coast. And Friday in particular, I was in absolute agony. Um, and can then you tell me, before mouth, it broke, it was... before your tooth
4: broke, Yeah. Uh, three weeks ago?
3: Yeah, because it's,
4: uh, it's over there. Yeah, before it broke, yeah. had you had any problems, any toothache from it? Um... Any niggles, anything yeah. that made you think, hmm, something's happening?
3: Yeah, maybe okay. maybe a couple of weeks before that. Oh, yes. And yeah.
4: how long had it been before you'd seen a dentist? Before today?
3: Uh, I saw a dentist about maybe two, nearly two years ago to okay. get a tooth out oh. on the other side of my mouth. Yeah. And he told me then that I was going to have to have some work done oh. throughout my mouth. Just from listening to what you've said, accessing cost and fear to
4: oral health services.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be a semi-professional. We are a semi-professional. You know, where it's, it shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Sure, cost shouldn't be a problem. Yep. Fear, yep. you know, work through it, sister. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, yep. Yep. you know, so imagine what it's like for someone who is not in my position, yep. who has a whānau to raise, um, don't have access to, not saying that I have access to money, but don't have access to unlimited funds, you know, yeah. extra money? Yeah. We don't have to
4: imagine. That's the majority of our clients that we see here in Tipuora. We are aimed solely at low-income adults. Um, I shouldn't say solely, I should say our priority is the low-income adults population of Rotorua, Tudangi Lakes, DHB region. We also do provide treatment for Komatoa. Um, adolescents, children and preschoolers. That sounds pretty much like everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole whānau, zero to hundred, was supposed to be the ideal, but our first focus was on low-income adults and is on low-income adults. Yeah, but I understand where you're coming from when you say, you know, I'm a semi-professional and look at the uh, difficulties or barriers that I have to face. So you're quite right when you put yourself in the shoes of someone who isn't in that same position low-income adult, uh, high needs in terms of oral health and low access to services and no certain no um, access to, to the funds, to resources, money to pay for services it can be a difficult situation. But one of the main reasons why you have a service like Te Puora, Oranganiho, our motivation was to focus on that part of the population and improve outcomes for Māori. So I th- okay. I'm pretty sure that you're needing to be sitting in the sheet, um, in the chair quite soon. Yeah. Okay. I'll sit in the chair. <laughs> not, not that you're trying to delay. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Concentration. <laughs> not that you're shaking in, in your shoes. Okay. But uh, I think we need to have a little look at this toothpaste. I'm just going to lie you back just slightly. So this isn't a comprehensive <laughs> examination whatsoever. I
3: no. Think I'm, I think I'm going to come back for that. Oh look, yeah. there's a thing up on the wall that says Where's Wally? <laughs>
4: I've never understood your, that. Um, quick two-minute consultation okay. to have a look and assess where you're at. At the, the Yeah. Can so, I, just pop this
3: <laughs> bit I feel like saying, don't <laughs> judge me. Don't oh. judge me by my mouth. Oh, don't judge me until you know me.
4: It's
3: okay. <laughs> all good.
2: It's
4: just that I'm heavily happy, and I usually try to finish my day around about now. I've been going since (gasps)
3: 5am Yeah, yeah, I have two small children at home It's all good Open my mouth Yeah
4: Okay And then this lovely reporter came along and she had toothache how could I not have a look Oh, girlfriend, you do have a broken premolar Most of the palatal cusp is gone And secondary decay, which looks like it's involving the pulp
3: what does that own? Uh, it doesn't actually. Nothing at all? But that could be because I had a home colour. Yes, could be. The
4: pulp is the inside of a tooth or your nerve and blood vessels...
3: Mm, that's all. That's
4: all. Okay. Mm. Sorry to do that to you.
3: So the thing that's up that there.
4: Yeah, that lump that Yeah. you were going to try and self-diagnose. I <laughs> <at home. laughs> self-diagnosed as cancer. <laughs> I'm really
3: glad
4: to say that it looks like a normal dental abscess to okay. me, but I'm not glad to say that. cuz well, better
3: than cancer, well. better than that self-diagnosis I had of cancer. You
4: know, look at the price I like kids,
3: aren't you? What I do want you
4: to do is take an x-ray, please, okay. and this little plastic thing here is what I get you to bite on. That's the film inside. Okay. Alright, don't be alarmed when I leave the room, because I've got to push the button to make the x-ray machine go. And because I'm kapu I, I go a few more steps than uh, four, <laughs> away from you. So, just be a little bit careful there, and take your time when you bite down. Will we take her for a spin? Just bite together, please. Doesn't need to spin, hey? Just sit up. Yeah. Okay, keep teeth together. I'll sit you up. <laughs> So that's the X-ray machine sitting next to your cheek and it'll take the picture of your tooth obviously and get a good look and see what's happening inside. Okay, keep nice and still. Try not to move, you'll hear it make a beat. It's got tiny
6: Okay.
3: Oh, cool. Oh, that's easy. You very well behaved. We might even get
4: you come back again. <laughs> got paperwork for you to fill out. Which you can okay. Yeah. It yeah,
3: yep, right. it's fine. I think I'm going to be back.
4: <laughs> um,
3: we'll get you to fill out the forms that we
4: would normally get a patient to complete. Okay. And um, then you me have your details
0: and we can label your x-ray properly. Okay, okay come on. That was the lovely dentist, Pauline Kopu, who has now had her baby. Congratulations. Namahikiakwe me to Now, Mariah does brave the dentist again very soon. It's reality radio whanau ma. Make sure to check out the continuing saga on upcoming tiahika And there's more about Tipu ora niho oranga on our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash Teahika. I'm Justin Murray, and this is Teahika. is famous for Ahorangi Genesis. That's what you can hear now in the background. In the mid-1990s, Ahorangi Genesis, then based in Hamilton, were a whānau, theatrical, Māori dancing and singing group. Mina Roderick makes, produces and directs as part of Etu Kahikatia production company. And John Stokes runs a company where he works on profiling good Māori stories. Now, what they have in common is that at some stage they have all been working journalists. In a previous Tiahika we heard some of an archival recording from 1987 that featured Chris Winitana, tutor in Māori journalism, and his then young student Maramena Roderick. Now, here's another excerpt from that piece, where Chris is asked by his sister, Kāli Winitana, whether being Māori in the media has changed. Remember, this was recorded back in 1987.
3: Well, does the media cover Māori events adequately?
7: Not at all. No, I don't think they cover it at all. They don't do it justice. They don't, they don't even... Uh, it's like they've, they're looking through a keyhole in a door, but the door's not even open. That's, that's the sort of view that they have of the Māori world. It's through a keyhole, a very minuscule view. Uh, it's still very monocultural. There are, when, when you have reporting, trying reporters trying to cover Māori events that are fraught with pitfalls... Um, then you are not likely to get a good product. When you think about the treatment that the media gives the Waitangi Waitangi Day, we, the the readers, are expected to believe that there are 50,000, 50 million Māoris congregating at Waitangi every year, uh, banner waving, flag waving and doing all sorts of things, and all we ever hear about is riot-clad police who are going up there to keep the peace and control them. We never ever hear he ha no te take o what, what, what is the reason why they're doing that? What is we the, the media hasn't yet comes to, come to grips with covering the, that sort of thing. Taking another example that has been in the headlines very recently and that is the land claim by the Tauranga people or the Hapu Ngai Tama Rawaho. Uh, we the reader would be expected to believe that the riot-clad police again holding sledgehammers this time that seemed to be the focal point of the story what about is their lame is their land claim viable has anybody gone back into history and just and to uncover what were the circumstances back in the turn of the century which led to their actions now so the the coverage is very superficial the they a po finua that was stuck into a grant to the ground that's called a sacred stick it is not a sacred stick it is a po finua. With the whole cultural meaning behind it, and those things can't be watered down like that glibly, superficially. Um, there are possibly millions of other examples, but they all lead up, lead up to, and end up at the same door. That is, Maori people need to be brought into the system to cover Maori issues for Maori people, as well as to help educate Pakeha people. Unless that happens, we will still continue to have riot-clad police controlling these uh, activist Māoris, these radical Māoris, when the whole Māori world is a bit more than that. Another thing that has to be considered is we need to get Māori people, not only at the reporting level, but also into the management level to chief become chief reporters and news editors, because often it's at that level that things go wrong. It is the chief reporter who will decide the worthiness of a piece of news. So to, to answer the question very simply, no, the media Ed, in its present state does not cater at all for Māori issues, Māori people, Māori feeling, Māori thoughts, Māori aspirations, Māori teha.
3: So where does the course fit into this?
7: Our aim is to produce those journalists, to put them out, to cover all those things.
0: Well, what has to be done to get better Māori coverage?
7: I think more support, financially, in whatever ways, has to be given to the Waiariki course so that it is able to have the best tutors, the best facilities, to attract the best people to come and be taught the skills of journalism. Then they can be placed in the media, pushed into the media, as journalists to start covering to start filling the bridging that gap that's been getting ever wider um, the further we go that's what has to be done more support has to be given to wayoriki more more of everything has to be given people have to wake up to the fact that there are Maori people who are more than capable more than skilled who are able to be journalists competent journalists and importantly bilingual Bicultural journalists. They can cover anything, every, anytime, anywhere. Just as a, as, a, as a last thought for for us all, I remember in my training what an editor once said to me. He said to me a general reporter or any re- reporter should be able to cover anything, anytime, anywhere. And you know what the real take on that one is? Only Māori journalists in this country can do that.
0: So, 25 years later. Chris Winitana, now a writer, producer and te reo Māori advocate, is joined by former student and award-winning journalist Maramena Roderick with John Stokes, a former Māori affairs reporter for the New Zealand Herald. Last week we left the discussion with a question hanging in the air. What is a Māori journalist?
1: Is that a person, you know, using the numbers game, is that a person who identifies as Māori? themselves, self-identification, and as a journalist. And then all the rungs of that, their experience is nil as a Māori.
3: Mm.
1: And that's terrible to say, but who am I to say, but I'm (laughs) going to say it because you've got to have this definition. Yeah, but
3: that's a reality of the Mm. the world we live in. Who
1: are we talking Mm. about here? Uh, It's not just one brush. There are native-speaking Māori people who are journalists, and there are the other end. Mm. And then there's every level of it, in between, yes. uh, we just blithely say here as we're seated here talking, mildy journalists, and we're putting one big cap on the entirety of them. I don't know if that's good, bad, or not. Just making drawing, drawing reference to it. That's all. I don't have the answer.
3: Yeah, well, there's a question that I, you know, I remember uh, years ago, Willie Jackson said, you know, we've got we're producing all these journalists who can it all mildly, but they have no analysis. And, you know, that's contributing to Māori story-making as well, you know? And I think we're, we're seeing examples of that daily.
1: Well, I guess we're in catch-up mode, eh? I mean, Māori TV, MTS, when did they come online? 2004? Yeah. Uh, we're, we're in big-time catch-up mode. I mean... There, there were always, we were always skinny on the journalists in the, in the first place. We're skinny on the, on the speakers in the second place. Now we're putting the two together and it's got skinnier again. Mm. Um, it's absolutely taken as read that uh, a young person who's come out of Kūra Kāpapa Māori say who is fluent speaking, has an interest in journalism, has gone and done a course, has got that level of stuff. Uh, suddenly they are, they are up in the eye of the public eye big time every night. And our expectation is that they can analyze everything. <laughs> hey, this kid just come out of school. And what puts him on the table is he has the real. And this is the fact. Whether we like it or not, and it's just a catch-up time thing. We you know, give that kid 20 years before they can start, blah, 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 blah. And then the next wave behind them, and then the next, which is really more of a trickle than a wave. Uh, you know, There's the context of it. It's, it's not a pretty sight.
6: And Māori television, I know, are aware of, of getting that training and that for the, for the young ones who are coming through. But at the moment, they're just trying to fill those seats. And you know, it, them. keep them. Keep them there, yes. <clears throat> so it's easy to sit in a studio and go, oh, you know, they need more <laughs> experience and, you know, they need to ask, you know, the and and all the rest of it. But um, at the same time, they've got to have... Something on air that night
8: that, that, that issue around um uh, what determining what is a Maori journalist too it, it also applies to what is a Maori story you know is it because um you know Joe blogs who happens to be Maori wanders onto the onto the media stage that it's a maori story you know I, I always find that fascinating. The other thing I find fascinating it is not generally the individual who determines their maoriness when it comes to being observed. It is the observer who determines whether they're Maori, and the context generally um, will, will determine the nature of that, i.e. criminality. Then they're generally going to be considered Maori. Uh, national accolades, they're going to be a Kiwi. You know, that's a it's quite a, a fascinating uh, dynamic. You know, for example, um, you know the, the golfer Campbell. He's, you know, we're all proud Kiwis when when that fellow did did pretty well. But uh, I suspect if he ran a mock in um a, you know a shopping center with a machete he's, he's going to be a mali mm. or or whatever
6: yeah is it, it is it 's that general awfulisation too it is is that like when um say there's a, a rotten case that's happened it's suddenly you know a very much a Māori case it's a Māori story you know and, and for for journalists who are in the in the newsroom here's the difference too if i 'm doing a story. You know, I don't know, for an example, a crime story or, or a health story or whatever. Um, I've, I find that a lot of my colleagues could go home at night. If, I had to, if it had anything to do with a land claim or any, any kind of kaupapa-based Māori, um, I'll go home at night and the phone be ringing. And I'll be getting it from the auntie, from the uncle. And, and so you take that responsibility home. It's not one that you ask for. But I found that my my um, parker colleagues never had that. That, that was um, sign off for the day and go home. Whereas you know we'll, we have still go
3: those communities on at the on the end weekend of the day. And, and our people at the end of the day yeah. will give us give us our beans.
8: I, I oh, there's an interesting addition to that too, in that I noticed that um, for example, when when say of covering uh, watching Maori media, when the the uh, the reporter happens to um, whakapapa up it to the um, to the iwi, if it's around a sediment or, or if there's a dispute with a neighbouring iwi, that really heavily influences their coverage. Uh, generally, to the positive for their iwi, and that, that's a an interesting uh, um, dynamic that, that that exists within a Maori context, which I empathise with. I, you know, I'm not, not a great fan of it. Doesn't it doesn't do what journalism's supposed to do, which is to is to apply light, you know, not not heat. Well, I mean, it probably is designed to apply heat, but...
6: I I, I, I think there, there's um, some real truth in there. I think you've got to be very, very careful when you're doing your own. You know, especially if you're a young lady you know, out there, you've got to come up against koro, who you have never, ever questioned in your life, and suddenly you've got to ask him some pretty tough ones.
1: Yeah, run, run. <laughs> Best advice: run the other ejection. <laughs> Go and get some other journalists. Yeah, get well, someone else
8: oh, yeah, to do I, it. I noticed um, I, that used to be quite the norm in Waikato at the Waikato Times. Actually, I noticed that, uh, um, that you know the the tongue of the were generally were not keen to stay in that Maori issues role. You know, they'd want to get out. Young and Nathan's a classic. You know, he was pretty happy to get out of covering Maori issues within his uh, within his tribe.
1: Yeah, it's something that uh, perhaps other journalists non-Māori, it would be very difficult maybe to sort of figure, get your head around the dynamics of this, but it's real. It's real, true. You know, I'm so-and-so. I belong to so-and-so family. My hapū is so-and-so. My tribe is so-and-so. I work on the local rag in this region. Everybody's got expectations. I, you know, I am Superman. Um, and then when I go home, it's 24-7, I get slapped around the head by, or by, mum by, auntie so-and-so, by the nephew, uh, go down to have a quiet beer at the pub, can't go there because all the cousins are there, and they say, <laughs> what the hell was that rubbish you were writing? How come you're dishing our auntie so-and-so? <coughs> it's real time, and it's real, and I'm sure it has an effect on that uh, supposedly immovable fourth estate uh psych that we're meant to have as the overall watchdog for the greater good of society. Did it is,
8: it is crucially <laughs> important that though that there is that um level of impartiality and I, it does frustrate me sometimes that um there is a, even around politics, you know, I've seen instances where people are clearly um supportive of a couple of and, and therefore their story will um will and support their cop. But you know, and I, actually, I I don't want to I don't want that. You know, I want to I want to be able to make a judgment. Um, you know, based on how all other political politicians or political parties are scrutinised. You know that it doesn't actually help a process if you're allowing your personal um, um, ideals. Of course, it's going to have a subtle influence at some stage. And if you're any good, maybe you'll you'll do it subtly. But uh, you know, it's, it's fair to say, my observations these times. You know, through the formation of the Maori Party, for example, you know it was very hard to determine, um, you know, who who weren't candidates um, around some of the coverage that happened in the in the early days.
6: And let's be clear about objectivity as as well. There is no such thing. The very way a journalist will write their first paragraph is going to put their tilt on it it's their angle, it's how they perceive it so this whole idea or idealism of being objective and having both sides and that from the very start, the way a journalist or a reporter opens their story, it's their take and
8: it's, you get it's, it straight away In fairness to that actually it's the, the most compelling part no, in, there are times when that applies but it is it is the, the most compelling element of whatever it is you're, 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 you're covering because that is your hook to get that person in and, and if you're a Good journalist, you will you will you will instantly know what the the intro is, and, it, and it's going to be again the compelling part. It's the same principle as when you you get home from going to a function, and you'll find go, oh, what happened at the event? The first thing you say about that event that that is
6: so and so got punched up.
8: Yeah, well, actually, the the the, the Waitangi one's a classic. You know, is that you know everyone who was there. For example, I was there the time, Destiny rocked up there and that was a you know, it was an amazing, really surreal experience to watch that. So when I when I went back and just talking to Fano, oh you know, my thing was, Oh, there's an amazing thing with Destiny and the tongue of the that came out, it was just amazing and or, or the Dom Brash thing where you got powdered with mud. If you were at that event and you didn't go home and go, Oh my god, you should have seen Don Brash got smashed with mud and it was, you know, hard case or whatever that you know, that's what's probably going to happen. If you went out and said, "Oh, there's a wonderful cake stall up the hill," and you know there was a, plan. <laughs> you know, that, you don't know about that. Exactly. You
6: know, going, and you know, how was the
8: weather? Yeah, yeah. And you know, so you know, that's again, and at and the, the essence of that is the human element. You know, it's not, it's not the, it's not the, you know, I'm a, I, you know, I like being negative. It's just that, you know, it's probably something we should all reflect on. We all love that, oh. Actually, if you think about a, if you talk about it, a hooey. You know, when a, if your if your auntie gets up and says something outrageous and offends one of your, you know, one of the uncles, and you know, that's probably the first thing that I, certainly my mum, for example, she's going to go, oh, your bloody auntie she did this, and you know that, that <coughs> and when in fact it was, you know, perhaps a tonguey or something, you know. So.
6: And what is good? Good news and bad news, anyway. You know what yeah, deserves exactly. coverage that's a that's I an find interesting
8: Phonetic cliche to us too. I thought, you know mm. I, I mean I work in the, my job is to promote mighty good news stories you know but I, I i it's a stock standard where are all the good news stories you know? you know as I see them reading something about murder and you know whatnot it's like you know
3: well I guess it's like what do you shed light on? what do you want to focus on
8: part part of it part of it is about um understanding. You know, to to make something, Madamina. When you were at Juno, you you know, for, for example, in London, you had to find that sort of unique factor. You know, you, you weren't gonna, that you wouldn't have stayed there if you had if you would have gone out and rocked out um, stories of uh, you know kiwi fruit and and mm. you know, rugby. If you if you said, look, this is my story for the today, for today. You know, I'm doing another kiwi fruit story. You know, you'd be back home pretty quickly. You know, so it's that sort of unique factor. And unfortunately, too, you would have noticed over there that what what hits the threshold for the BBC. You know, I watched last night, happened to be up in old bloody Happy feet on there, and you know? I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, when I went to the States, um, you know, some of the stuff that made the... Th- I mean, there was, a, there was some person who'd been caught with drugs and hadn't had a bowel movement for 25 days. You know, the only coverage I ever heard when I was in the States was about this freak drug bloody courier. You know, I thought, oh, that's fantastic. What a wonderful ambassador for our country.
6: And I don't see some of the, um, uh, well, I don't know, what could be perceived as bad um, news stories are, are all that bad. And a, a prime example was in um, the Oriwa speech on, on Don Brash. And I was sitting at the table and it was with Nahui, a journalist. She was with Nahui Wade and Ranginui Walker. And we were sitting around talking about him. We were discussing, you know, it got too much coverage or, you know, uh, how how bad it was what he had said. And Nahui piped up and the table and she goes, I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. I loved it. And I said, did you mate? She goes, yeah. And this is why. All the rednecks came out. Mm -hmm. I saw exactly who I'm dealing with now. And he's actually, she's actually. So
3: she had turned it on that. Qualifying what you're talking about, Chris, which is that sublime thing. Mm. You know, it's actually there for for everyone to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's that elephant in the room is is suddenly there in concrete form.
1: You know, there's Good Māori story, bad Māori story thing, or good Barker story, bad Pākeh story, um, I think that's part of the journalism myth for myself. We created it. All it is is be helpful. Be helpful. Tell the story, whatever the story is. I mean, if somebody deserves to be accounted for, uh, that, that's part of the deal. You do it. All stories are part of the deal. What, what it really is is if you, as a a journalist, have another layer in your mind past your own uh, thing that we call objectivity that Maramena just talked about before, the fact is it goes through the sieve of your own personal mind first. There's one cup on the table, there's 20 journalists, they have whatever the compelling factor for them is, that's what they will lead with. And they may all end up generally around the same space, but there are subtle nuances in there. Past that, and what I'm saying is now, that's, that's Journalism 101. Past that, guys, and I'm not just talking to my mates here, you know, us. Past that, and without wave, uh, banner waving, do you want to be helpful to this society that we call New Zealand, Aotearoa, Kiwi, whatever it is? If you want to be helpful, then tell the stories. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, it's all good. Be helpful that we can give a greater diet to the greater number of people for the greater cause. You know, what's wrong with that simple, um I'm, Mother men is rolling her eyes at me, because I know that cynical side of her is just <laughs> bursting out of it. Uh, you know, I'm a cynic too, you can't help but that after a while. However, there are still aspirations to be uh, aimed for, even if our physical experiences on the newsroom floor a fly in the face of them. That, that's what makes ideals ideals. They're pristine. They are unreachable, unreachable often. However, that should not stop us from aiming for them. With Whatever journalist you are, be a good one. What's a good one? Tell the story. What's the story? Uh, the truth as you can find it. The truth as you can find it, because sometimes you can't. Ne? Be helpful. Be helpful to people. Māori, Pākehā, whomever else. Be helpful. Tell the story as it deserves to be told. Good story, bad story is beside the point. It's a, um, that's a story that you feed students at a journalism course. We've all been out in the world now for some time. Be helpful. Tell the story. Tell the best story you can from your best position with your best objective mind, with your best subjective mind, with the totality of who you are, with all your experiences today because it changes slightly tomorrow. Uh, what more can you ask for the highly ideal Idealistic, but hey, isn't that the idea of the fourth estate?
8: That, no, that's spot on. Oh, you know, oh, that, that's exactly right. And you know, be brave. You know, do, do, do your job. Contextualise. Test your test your sources. You know, David Rankin is he a legitimate um, commentator on the Kingitanga? If you think so, Keta Pot. If you, if you are going to um, take that view, then it is incumbent on you to find someone who tempers that view. You know, same as any other story. If someone is your your uh, source for information, test the uh, viability of the information. Also test their motives, and um, again contextualise. And that's where actually Māori Junos journo, are fantastic because they aren't doing it to embarrass, or they, they are going to feel the same. Feeling we all feel when we see a Maori story, we, you know, we all feel a bit of a cringe factor, whether we're associated to it or not. But um, they will, they will temper the the nature of of that coverage. They will, they will um, perhaps uh, report on the Don Brash audio speech and also insert some facts which clearly contradict his his uh, selective statements. You no, know, that, that that's what good Maori journalists will will do and should do. And actually, not just Māori Junos. Actually, there's some fantastic um, uh, non-Māori Junos who who uh, are fair minded and uh, professional.
1: Hey, that just reminds me. On the Herald, that's where you are, eh? I used to be. Used to I used to be. Do they have still have a Māori affairs round report around person?
8: Yeah, they do. I won't it. it, it, it's by, by way of an example. Yvonne broke the story on the um, on the flora and fauna um, um, report and. You know that was always going to be a huge one, and, and I know I know there was anticipations it would be another, you know, huge scandalous thing, because of the way she treated that story and, and preempted any other coverage. It took a lot of heat out of it. It didn't focus in on oh, Mary's acclaiming this or you know. And admittedly, the report was probably written in a way that was you know was cognizant that that could, it could have gone that way, but it took a lot of heat out. You know, I heard Michael Laws trying to kick. Kicked some dust up, and he, you know, he was struggling, and it didn't, didn't get the same venom that it probably would have had. It had it started off with grabbing one of the recommendations, which you know it may have been quite damaging, you know. So she, she, she did a very good job, and uh, you know, whoever ran the cons on that did a pretty good job as well. But um, she does a good job. Yeah, that's why
1: where I was coming from, having a dedicated Maori affairs reporter in your news organisation versus the highly idealistic view of everyone sort it. What's your view?
8: No, no, I totally have the Māori... because you know you're covering for the, for example, at the Herald you're covering the, the country, you know, and some, you know, as well as the world. So you've got to, you've got to try and plug into um, the many uh- you know complexities and influences and 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 background so it, it's it's a full time job just to keep on top of what's happening you know about um and and having access to this the context the most the most crucial thing i'd love to see is that we that an identification of people who are actually appropriate to speak on issues and it, it it's hard to find that would
3: always be changing though
8: um, it does, although there are, are, are people who are knowledgeable in terms of, say, history, um, who who yeah. can speak with some authority about what...
3: They're not on it. media speed dial.
8: Yeah, no, and it, or, or the, there's, a, there's an aversion to speak um, on certain things, and I guess that would be uh, something that would really advance things, is, is to rather than let the, the stage be taken by people who probably shouldn't be there... Um, to have a have a more uh, informed range of, of commentators and, and um, or experts.
3: Okay, so in summary, over twenty years since this interview was conducted, what's changed for the better? We have
6: more Māori um, organisations. Uh, we have but and just by that we have more Maori stories whatever that is going going out and out there um i think the advent of Maori television is fantastic as well um especially with the high non Maori audiences who are who are tuning and i do worry that another t- you know 20 or so years we're still going to be here talking about this oh. you know and at the end of the day when i'm training the Junos or whoever are coming through i just exactly what chris Tommy, and what we've all been privileged to hear today. It was like going back back into my student chair <laughs> two decades ago. You know, just tell the story. Tell it honestly. Do the best that you can. Um, and don't expect any favours. You know, do your best and stop talking about it. The, the moment you stop talking about it, get on with it, we might see changes
8: my my i'd like to say bokeh to um the the and, and dramatically improved um coverage from in maldi television and um and in TVNZ around their Māori coverage native affairs is a wonderful program and you know is, is is actually breaking some really good news and doing it well um Morai Report is a very good product now, and you know it 's actually the competition between those two, which has been fantastic Takari they went through a major shake up uh, with Shade Taudi, Shane Taurima, and um, you know they 're providing a far more uh, professional and compelling product, and those are really good things. i think um, I think the Maori population will continue to grow, and as a result, those editors that uh, have their eyes out about what how do they reflect that view that will cont- that will improve um, Um, the range and and the the quality of the Māori reporting. There's some really concerning things which are happening around the media in general and that um, print is dying, Um, advertising is becoming more dispersed as a result of the internet. There's a proliferation of of, um, websites which can cater to specific needs. So if you're a raving uh, redneck who only likes to read horrible Māori stories, you'll be able to find a site that does that. If you're a... um, Hardcore cover of a Maori person who only likes your, to read your Maori stories, you'll be able to do that, and, and that actually isn't a good thing. You know, you need to be reading a cross section of of um, stuff. So actually, there's bigger worries on the media front uh, than uh, specifically uh, how Maori are being treated. And that's probably about the uh, the you know the running these the running them into the ground, um, you know, and, and advertising and and uh, dollar issues driving their agenda which is a really important one to our democracy, you know.
1: Yeah, all good, all true. Um, I agree with what my mates here have said. Maybe just the, the add-in, uh, there can never be an, too many. No. There can be never be too many of all of us. But I'm Māori, so I want to take that point of view. There can never be too many Māori uh, in mainstream, in our dedicated Māori news organisations with all the good things that happen in there. Uh, so go forth and conquer. Go hard. If you want to be a journalist, be one. Be the best one you can be.
0: Himihiaatsu Kiarato Ma, Maramina Roderick, Chris Winitana, and John Stokes, Māori journalists who featured as part of a panel discussion. So, what about Māori and the media? Na kui ate kio kiona o te, ki
6: te,
1: nah, te, kio te kapahaka. We're crossing now to Gisborne and to Jody Ihaka. What's the word on the finalist Jody?
6: Kio te Well, I don't know if you can hear this behind me. What happens when an Indian girl falls for a Maori boy?
1: Eteti eteta, no maida. Work and income says unemployment figures are starting to drop in Tai as the recession. Eases.
0: The 25th anniversary reunion of Māori journalism, Waereke, included serious discussions about the state of Māori media. At the event, Paula Maxwell, the head of Māori programming at TVNZ, asks the question: Where are the Māori journalists? First up, we hear from discussion facilitator Anatapiata.
5: In the words of Moe lani I sit and ponder about the future, the temptations that, are, that befall our tamariki at this time. Where do we go? What do we need to look at so that when we come back in another 25 years we'll be in a better place than we are today? Um, for you, the Hunga e my Please think about your questions and get in early so all the really good ones are not asked at the end. Um, and so, because he gave all the straight stuff about um, our panel, and we're very fortunate to have them. Our first uh, presenter is Paul Maxwell from TVNZ, who, before he got into TVNZ, was a dancer. Kia ora.
2: <laughs> dancer? Gee. <laughs> I didn't know I was a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> tēnā koutou katoa, tēnā koutou me ngā āhuatanga o te wā o nei mate, noho mai te awairua, a wairua a tato o te awora. Kia ora mai tātou katoa. He mihi tautahi, a ki āku matua. A big warm greetings to all the uh, young uh, journalist um, students from Waiariki. I was wondering, I was sitting over the front here and I was wondering now who are those young people, I bet they're the the bright future for Māori journalism. And um, I went and had a quick conversation with them, and sure enough, they are. (laughs) Um, Before I I talk to some of the points, I'm not sure how much time have we got. Six minutes, minutes. gee, I've already gone through a minute. It's trouble with Māori, we mihi for five and we talk substance for a minute. Uh, So I'll get straight into it. Um, But just before I talk about the future, um, I really want to acknowledge um, 25 years ago, I thought people this morning were very uh, pessimistic. Um, you know, I was 20 something uh, 25 years ago, and I was um, I came from the uh, um, uh, Maori Renaissance kind of era. So I came on the back of Bastion Point. I came on the back of going around. Uh, when I was at university and also when I got back here to Rotorua, uh, collecting signatures uh, for Māori language that it be made compulsory in our schools. Um, I was of that generation. Um, much to the woe of Gary, in fact, <laughs> I actually did an introductory journalism course while I was back here at, in, uh, uh, for about a week, I think it was, um, and um, Gary kindly reminded me before that Um, I was the agitator (laughs) and I did say to him um, today that um, I was very proud of that fact because um, it is really that questioning of society in the last 25 years that has really got me to the position that I'm in today. Um, I want to acknowledge that 25 years ago we didn't have Maori television. It's a huge achievement I know the national government may whittle the resource down somewhat, but we have Māori television. We will never lose it, I believe. I also believe that we've had Māori broadcasting on our national broadcaster, Television New Zealand, for over 25 years, and as long as I'm at the helm at Māori and Pacific programmes, we won't lose that either. 25 years ago, we didn't have, as somebody pointed out this morning, the number of Ewe radio stations. There are whole lots of things that we all take for granted now that we didn't have 25 years ago. So I actually think we should celebrate that. And in fact, if the next 25 years is as, as, as successful, then the future looks very bright. I mean, that's, that is actually the cornerstone of my cordial to you today. No, it doesn't mean to say that we rest on our laurels, but it does mean to say that every now and then, you know, we have to take stock and be grateful for what we've got and build on it. That's the essence. Māori journalism. Um, I have to say that I think that I don't know where the Māori journalists are great graduating too these days. All I know is that Shane Todima, who is the editor of Te Karere, the executive producer if you like, told me about a month ago that it was very very difficult for him to fill the Wellington reporter position for Te Karere It uh, uh, was left vacant by the retirement of Joe Glenn. And I was absolutely amazed I mean he, he did a quite a, a wide scoping to try and find a journalist for that prize position and prime position but you know it was very very difficult and it really stunned me and so part of my, the ulterior motive of me coming here today was really to get you know to get a get a feel for what's happening because I want to know where all the bright young talented Māori journalists are and I want to encourage all of you to start knocking on our doors because quite honestly, as I say, I was stunned by um, Shane's admission to me. Um, What in fact he ended up doing was um, recruiting a a journalist who'd kind of moved out of journalism and she's kind of filling in for the time, Uh, Ngahuya Wade is her name. But um, he, was, you know, he was telling me that the, the, the number of graduates that we think are coming through are just not there. I guess there's two things that we require, is not only the craft skills of journalism, but we also require in Māori language speaking programmes, we require uh, te reo Māori. So what we're doing wrong in that, in that account, I'm not sure, but I'm very much interested in um, discussing how we might fix it and why don't we you know, have a, a concerted effort about trying to turn out uh, bilingual, if you like, um, Maori journalists. I, I'd really like to take up WASI's challenge and I too am amazed because I, mean, I sit as um, the executive producer over all of our programs. So uh, programs like Marai Investigates and Takarete are our two uh, news and current affairs genre programs. Um, but I, quite honestly, I am surprised. In, in my day, uh, the journalists seemed to be hungrier. They seemed to be, um, you know, looking for the hard stories. They, they wanted to turn the stones over. They just didn't want to look at the surface. They wanted to really get in there and ask the hard questions. I think that's happening more, and I don't, um, you know, I don't for a minute believe that we're doing soft options, tongue at all, neither uh, Television New Zealand or Māori TV, but I actually think that we could probably do a better job about giving the skills required to young Māori-speaking, English-speaking journalists That can go out there there and and fill uh, these these important jobs in Māori media. Um, Six minutes goes past really, really quickly. Um, I'd just like to make one more point, uh, Lawrence. And, you know, the future for us is, um, as as a broadcaster, there's very much a future online. Um, That's where it's happening. Te karere in the month of April had 1.2 million YouTube video watches. 1.2 million. Now, that's where the new audiences are going. That's where young people are choosing to watch TV when and where they want to, not when we put it on the screen necessarily. And I think this is an instance, Lawrence, of where technology is helping Māori, and particularly those of us that aren't in prime time. Prime time, I think, is almost an old-fashioned notion because the rangatahi are going to online outlets. Uh, that's the YouTube hits. Tukarere has 7,000 Facebook fans, uh, friends. Uh, Tukarere in the month of April had 7,000 on demand video hits. So that's where the future is at. It's definitely in a digital age. And um, I know that we at Television New Zealand and we in the Pacific and Māori Department are embracing that new technology. That's about all I've got time for. Kia ora tātou.
0: Kia ora. Paura Maxwell, Head of Māori Programming at Television New Zealand, recorded at the 25th anniversary of the Waiariki Māori Journalism course a few weeks ago, and will bring you more kōrero from that discussion in upcoming Te We've posted up a question on our Facebook fanomā about how you view today's Māori media. Now we're talking Māori in the mainstream media, local and national newspapers, radio stations and even online. Make sure to leave us a comment. Next week, Maraia will be back in the dentist chair and I'm with the Musical Island Boys, a barbershop quartet. Aneira, a Kingi Biddle with this week's Whakatauki.
1: One of the things that uh, Timoti Karetu has been saying is uh, the Fakatoki e te e maui. When one is strong, the other is strong as well. And the the, the one I'm talking about is when the Maori is strong, the English is strong as well. So now I have to make the English strong so the Maori can be strong.
0: Hemihi te kinga kai kōridoi te nei wiki Hemihi ano kinga kai ra wiki wiki mihini hoki mai haite ra tapeu mai yamata ota hikā mōri